Church, we have a reading this morning from the book of Deuteronomy. It's the end of chapter 31 and the beginning of chapter 32. And I lost my glasses just as I walked up, so give me a moment to adjust my sight here. Then Moses spoke the words of this song until they were finished in the ears of all the assembly of Israel. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak. And let the earth hear the words of my mouth. May my teaching drop on as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, like gentle rain upon the tender grass and like showers upon the earth, herb. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. The rock, is work is perf- the rock, his work is perfect. For all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, I know uh, I, I'm just going to sp- speak um, truth here, Lord. We have a young lady who is not feeling well. Um, just be with her as she, uh, as they attend to her needs, as Lena needs uh, needs you, Father. Uh, just give her her comfort um, and whatever illness. Just be a healing hand over her, um, Lord, as as you can do and you can create miracles inside people when they're sick. So I just pray for her in this moment, Lord. I pray for any distraction that may come forward, that we keep our eyes focused on you, because you are God. You are powerful, and we need you. We need you, and we praise you, Father, in this worship service. As Chris comes forward, may you just continue to speak through him, Father, and use him. And those words that he speaks are for his children who are here. Lord, we know that your presence is welcome. So as we sit down and we listen to your words, I just ask that you move among all those that are in this building that we proclaim your name, the truth, Adonai. We love you. It's in your heavenly name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I noticed that, you know, when Jonathan got sick and he had to call one of the staff to sing, he didn't call me. Second second option. Second option, right. Um, I don't know why. I make a joyful noise. To the Lord, I, I sing an A key, you know, as we go, but um, thank you, Chad, for uh, bringing the love, and of course, Rudy read a song of Moses. I think he should have sang it. We don't know the tune, but he should have just brought it forward, but man, this is a day of, of celebration. We are finishing the book of Exodus. We have been almost 40 weeks in the book of Exodus. It's been quite a while, but we're also talking about the death of Moses, and when I say the name Moses... I don't know what comes to your mind, right? When we say Moses, we've been going through this story for weeks and weeks and weeks. What comes to mind? Maybe his birth, right? This birth where they in a basket, being rescued, um, King Prince of Egypt style, right? And being rescued in that in Exodus chapter 2. And just as he had this miraculous delivery um, from the Pharaoh where they're throwing children in the Nile, we see Jesus later on having this miraculous delivery as Herod wants to kill all of the children as well. Maybe you think about the burning bush as we sang that song, Burn. Moses at the burning bush, take off your sandals, the place you walk is 
holy ground. If you remember, Moses was a very reluctant leader. He's like, no, I can't do it. I don't talk so well. I don't do this so well. And God's like, put your hand in your pocket. Ah, leprosy. Put it back in, right? Oh, it's all okay again. God asked him, made him, convinced him to be the man that set the people free. Maybe you think of Moses, you think of let my people go, right? From Exodus chapter 5 where he goes to Pharaoh and all of a sudden they have to make bricks without straw. They have to go get the straw themselves. Or the plagues that fell upon Egypt destroying the Egyptian gods that were there. Maybe that's what you think about when you think about Moses. Or maybe him on the edge of the Red Sea. All of a sudden the sea opens and the people walk through on dry ground. I don't know what you picture of Moses, the Ten Commandments in Exodus 32, coming down and finding the golden calf and going full rage monster, then having to go up and make another pair. How do you picture this Moses? Is he the guy that hit the rock twice for the water to come out, to lose his opportunity to go to the promised land? Moses, that name that is out there. How do we picture Moses? Because today we're going to talk about his death. And he has a quite unique death, um, scripturally. It's quite unique. And we're going to turn there. If you go to Deuteronomy chapter 34, the last words of the Torah, we're going to read together. And we're going to see the death of this um, man of God. So we'll pick up in verse 1. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pilgash, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, and Naphtali, and the land of Ephraim, and Manasseh, and all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negev, and the plain, and the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zorn. So we see Moses again up on a mountain, this time in Mount Nebo. Remember last week we talked about where Moab was and right there by um, the Jordan River. Here's a picture from Mount Nebo. We know where Mount Nebo is. In fact, if you visit Israel today, you could go to a place that they think could have been the place that Moses was at. And when he's looking out and, and over to the right, you would see Jericho. Can you imagine the walls of Jericho and the palms that were there? And on the left, you see the Dead Sea. That's over on the left in the Jordan River that's flowing out of it. And this would have been sort of what Moses would have been looking at, scanning across the promised land that he does not get to enter. Right? And God is there with him. And verse 4, it says, And the Lord said to him, This is the land which I swore to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So the Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. So how do you picture this death? Do you picture it like Enoch? Remember in Genesis chapter 5, verse 24, it says, And there was a man named Enoch who walked with the Lord, and then he was not. He just wasn't. He just went home. With God. Is that, is that kind of how you're picturing this scene that's going on there? Well, when you keep reading, you see that Moses on the mountaintop actually died, right? It says, And he buried him in the valley of Peor, the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. 
Moses was 120 years old when he died. So here's what I want. We're going to dive into four different things about this death of Moses that I think are quite interesting because, number one, we have to understand something about God, right? God takes the life of Moses as he's looking at the promised land, right? So God takes the life of Moses. How are we picturing that? He takes his life. Because when you look at this next verse, verse 7 that we just read, he was 120 years old, which to us seems old, right? I mean, 120 sounds really old. But look what it says next. It said, his eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. Who would like your vigor to be unabated? I mean, that just sounds cool, right? Like after turkey on Thanksgiving Day, my vigor was abated. All right? That afternoon, it was like, it was work to get out of the chair after watching football, right? So, but we know Moses here. Moses wasn't sickly. He wasn't near death. He wasn't tired. He was unabated. He had vigor. He had excitement. And yet God took him. God killed him on the mountain. And here's what we have to understand about God. God is the author of life. God is the author of life. Not just the beginning where he formed us together in our mother's womb, but he's also the author of the end. You see, the author is the one who gets to write the story that he's created each one of us for a purpose in him, that he knows our beginning and our end, and he's equipped us to do good works which he's prepared beforehand for us to walk in them, Ephesians says. Are we ready to walk in a manner worthy of the calling? Because he has our beginning and our end. In Psalm 139, right, which is what I quoted earlier, he knit us together in our mother womb. In verse 16 of that psalm, he actually tells us that he knows the beginning and the end. He says, my eyes saw, your eyes saw my unformed body. And your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet none of them were to be. That God has known the beginning and the end of your story. So the question is, do you trust him with your life? Do you trust him with the end of the story? And here Moses is on the mountain looking over the promised land, and God takes him. Now what's interesting about this story as well is that he buries him, right? It says in verse 6, and he buried him, this is God, burying Moses in the valley in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows the place of his burial to this day. So in the back of your mind, there should be this like, what? Why did he bury him in a place that he wouldn't know? Well, and we find out in Jude chapter 9, or not chapter 9, there's only one chapter, but Jude verse 9, we see this interesting um, combating between Michael and the devil over the body of Moses. Look what it says in Jude verse 9. It says, but when the archangel Michael contended with the devil and he was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke him. We could get into the spiritual warfare of how we should interact with the enemy another time. That's a whole other sermon. But we notice that the devil is desiring, he wants the body of Moses. Why? Why does the devil want Moses' body to be found? Well, here's why. We know the Israelites, they have a habit of idolatry, don't they? And in fact, we know ourselves. We have a habit of worshiping the things that we can see and touch. We have a habit of worshiping the creation 
instead of the creator. We have a tendency to worship humans. We see this in the Israelites, for example. Um, you remember Joseph, right? Joseph, that incredible story of Joseph and, and all the things. You remember at the end of the book of Genesis, Joseph said, I don't want to be left here in Egypt. Take my bones with you. And they take Joseph's bones all the way to the promised land. In fact, in Joshua 24, verse 32, you see Joseph's bones being buried in the promised land. They took Joseph's bones from Egypt through the Red Sea, wandering for 40 years, conquering the land, and then they buried his bones. That's dedication to the person of Joseph. What would they have done with Moses? What would they have done with Moses' body? If they knew where the tomb of Moses would, where he was, would they worship him? Would they make a shrine to him? And here's what we need to understand. Because, I mean, if we go to Israel and we know where Moses' body is, you're going to go visit the tomb of Moses, aren't you? You read about the stories about him. You would want to go visit. But these sacred shrines that people make, right, when we lift people on a pedestal, they become a snare to our faith. When we lift people up beyond where they should be, they become a snare to us. What do I mean by that? Now, I'm not a hunter, okay? I don't know anything about it. You could talk to people over here on this side. They might know more about hunting than I do. But I watched a show called Alone. And in this show, they take 10 people and they just drop them in the wilderness and they have to survive. The last one still surviving wins money at that point. And so one of the things they do in that show, they have to find food to eat, right? So they set snares, right? It's It's a wire and they have like a little trigger and then these poor little cute little rabbits run in there and then it like gets them, right? And then they like eat them and it's like, ah, crazy, right? I don't know if I could do that, right? Suck the eyeballs out of a rabbit. Yikes, right? Anyway, maybe you don't want to watch the show. But um, this snare, right, is something that's, it's right along the well-worn path. It's right somewhere they travel all the time. But when it's there and it trips them up, it catches them. Now, we don't know what snares are really because, you know, we're Texans and I live in a house that I don't go hunt. But um, I saw some snares upstairs because I don't know about y'all, but as soon as Thanksgiving over is over, it's Christmas time at our house, right? Immediately, like the next morning, I'm in the attic getting the Christmas tree out, getting all that stuff, right? All that stuff. Out. But one thing I noticed when I went up in the attic, there's mouse traps there. And a person like me and mouse traps is dangerous, Okay, because I'm barefoot in the attic, right? And there's mouse traps everywhere. So I, that made me think about these snares. That's basically what a snare is. I want you to imagine a huge mouse trap, all right? You got the little neck breaker, right? I was going to bring a mouse trap to show you, but then I was scared that I would actually snap myself. So um, neck breaker, right? You got the little stick that goes over the neck breaker, right? And then you have the little paddle. And then you put something like really yummy on the paddle, right? Like peanut butter or cheese. But I want you to imagine a, a human-sized mousetrap where your idol is sitting on the mousetrap. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe that's your idol. May, maybe it's your job that you can't stop thinking about, right? May, maybe it's food, dressing, right? Thanksgiving, right? May, may, whatever it is, it's on the mousetrap. And you walk by it every day and you see the neck breaker. You know that there's a chance you're going to die. There's a chance it's going to snap on you. How many of us would venture in and try it? You, you know there's a risk. You know that if you give yourself this thing, it could cause death. Because sin in us, when it's fully conceived, brings forth death, right? How many of us would go for it? 
And you know what? Sometimes we might get it. <laughs> Got it. Beat the trap. Beat the system, right? Come back. Next day, there's more. Now we start getting overconfident. Snap! It catches us. That's what a snare does. It's along that path that's just sitting there day after day, week after week, and it doesn't, oh, I don't really have that much of, I used to have a problem with that, but I don't have that much problem anymore. And then we get lazy. We stop diving into the word. We stop praying about this issue, and then snap, it gets us. And the Israelites went through this over and over and over again. And here's what the devil wants. He wants the body of Moses to cause them to worship him once again. And so I want to give you a couple um, ways that this snare can kind of catch us. Because interestingly enough, the Bible talks about snares 38 different times in the Scripture, warning us against these snares that are set out in the world about us. Let's look at this one in Exodus chapter 34 um, that kind of ties into our story where God is warning the people about this snare that is out there uh, before them, all right? It's in Exodus 34, verse 12, all right? Here's what it says. Take care, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. So as a Christian, we have to beware of this snare. We will fall in love with the world. If we're not careful, we're going to fall in love with the culture and the world, and it's going to become a snare to us. Where is our citizenship? It's in heaven. Why, we're just visiting this place. Our home, eternal life for us is awaiting us in heaven, the true promised land that's out there. We have to be careful of getting caught up too much in the culture that we're in. We've got to stand on the truth of God's word. Uh, there's another warning for us in Psalm 119, um, verse 110, I think it is, yep. That warns us about the snare. It says, the wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Do you realize that there are wicked people in the world that want to make you fall? There are people in the world who want you as a Christian to stumble. They want, because it makes them feel better about themselves. They want to trap you. They've set snares for you, given you an opportunity, and we have to be able to walk the straight in the narrow, we can't stray from his precepts and his commands and his ways for us. In fact, Jesus even tells us about this in Matthew chapter 7. Do you remember he said, narrow is the gate. Wide is the way that leads to destruction and many will find it. But narrow is the way. And it's going to be easy, right, if you walk the straight and narrow? Nope, that's not what the verse says, is it? It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard to walk in a manner that the Lord wants us to walk in. Because when we stray off that path, snares are awaiting us. Something to catch us, to make us do the things that we don't want to do. So we need to stay on the straight and the narrow. And here's the third key. If you want to find a way to combat these snares that are all around us, I want to give you this tip. Flee and pursue. Right? Flee from things, but don't just flee and run aimlessly as if boxing the wind. Or don't just run wherever. Flee and pursue. This comes from 2 Timothy 2.22. Turn there with me. Right? We see this idea of snare in these verses where he's encouraging young Timothy. Paul's encouraging young Timothy to flee from youthful passions. Here's our warning. 
The things that you did when you were younger, you know the mistakes, the silly things you got caught up in? Flee from those things. As you grow in the Lord, you should leave those things behind. So he's saying, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. So we don't flee from it and just run wherever. We turn, we find righteousness, and we run that way. Pursue faith. Are you pursuing your faith? Are you daily spending time in the Word? Are you daily pursuing a deeper faith with the Lord? Pursue love. Are you loving like Christ loved? Now, listen, I know you just got done with Thanksgiving. Family came over. Some family that you didn't want to come over. They still came over, okay? And you're sitting around. Did you love them well? Were you quick to forgive? Were you slow to anger, quick to listen, slow to speak? Were you willing, right, to lay down your own desires for the desires of others? When you're coming up and there's like that last helping. I'm just kidding. That's not really the last helping. Anyway, but are we ready to love other people well? Are we pursuing peace? Look what it says next about peace in these verses. It says, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Find a group of people to run this race with you. Find a group of people that have flee the youthful passions and run towards the Lord. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. So when you're that, at that lunch table for Thanksgiving, you kind of know what you can talk about and what you can't talk about. Are you a person that brings peace into a home? That's a sign of your faith in there. Verse 24, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. If you want to be an example to Christ to people, be kind. Just be kind. Don't you like to be around people that are kind? Be kind to everyone. Be able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Is that the world we live in? Correcting each other with gentleness? Man, this is how we should be, regardless of how they act. We have gentleness. This sounds like the fruit of the Spirit at work. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. And here's the key. When we enter with kindness and we answer with gentleness, perhaps they will turn to the Lord. Perhaps they'll turn to repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So here's what it says. There's two teams. If you're caught in that snare, you're doing the will of the enemy. But if you're pursuing righteousness and love and peace, then you're following the Lord and you're pursuing him. Which one are we going to be? There's no middle. There's no, I'm just chilling. I'm just hanging. There's either the enemy He's using you for his purposes or following after the Lord. We want to follow the Lord. We want to avoid this ideology that we have in the world that wants us to worship people. Let's look at another example. Look at 2 Kings chapter 18. You know, we're making this assertion that um, the people would have worshipped Moses if they knew where he was, right? He would have become an idol to them. Here's an example of why the Lord buried him in a place that they couldn't find him and why the enemy wanted to have the body of Moses. Look what it says in verse uh, 1 of chapter 18. 
It says, In the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abby, daughter of Zechariah, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. He removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah, and he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it. It was called the Nehushtan. So here's what happened. You remember the, the snake on a stick that we talked about? They found it. They put it in a shrine, and they began to worship it. They began to bring offerings to it, to a snake on a stick. Was the snake on the stick what actually saved them? Or was it the maker of the serp, bronze serpent that saved them? Was it God, the one who saved them? Now, this is 700 years later. They're still worshiping the snake on a stick. What do you think they would have done with the body of Moses? And in fact, when you talk about the Pharisees, how many times do they go, but our father is Moses. Our father is Abraham. We have a tendency, and this is why we need to know, we have a tendency to worship people. You want me to give you an example? Taylor Swift tickets. $3,000. You wait in a queue for nine hours to get tickets to a concert. That, that's boarding on worship. Think about our athletes, right? We go home, we love football. I watch tons of football. How much do we pay our athletes? Millions of dollars to play a game. How much do we pay our teachers that pour into the future of our kids? You know, Steph Curry makes the same amount as a teacher in one minute of game time. That's crazy. That's crazy. And we're not better as a church sometimes. We see celebrity pastors. We see pastors with private airplanes with $4 million homes. We, we have this tendency to worship people. That's why we need to know, hey, let's step back. This is a snare for us. Let's not worship people. Let's worship God. That's where our focus needs to be. Okay, let's go back to Moses. Because you know something interesting about Moses? He, he kind of got to visit the promised land. I mean, he got to go to the ultimate promised land, which is heaven. But do you realize that he kind of got to visit the promised land? Do you remember in Luke chapter 9 when the transfiguration happened? Right? And, and Jesus went up on the mountain and then like took off the flesh. It was like all shiny. Woo! Right? And he was there. And who came to visit him on that mountain of transfiguration? Moses and Elijah. And they stood there with him on that mountain. So Moses kind of got to visit the promised land. But the question for Moses is this. What did Moses leave behind? What was Moses' legacy that he left when he was gone? Well, I think his legacy was Joshua. Look what he says next in verse 8. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. And the days of, when the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended, and Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him, so the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and all the servants and to all the land. And for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror 
that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. So Moses did these incredible things for God, and he hands off the baton to Joshua. He discipled Joshua. Do you remember Joshua was up on the mountain with him in Exodus 32 when he was given to commit Ten Commandments? And Joshua was the one who went into the tent of meeting with him. And this disciple of Moses becomes the leader, the one that was the, the faithful spy becomes the leader. And what's interesting about Joshua is that the Lord actually confirms Joshua to the people in a very similar way to Moses. Do you remember that? Moses had the burning bush, right? Take off your sandals. The place you walk is holy ground. But Joshua, in Joshua chapter 5, met the commander of the Lord's army. And the commander of the Lord's army said, hey, take off your sandals. The place you walk is holy ground. And Joshua believed him. Moses didn't believe, had to be convinced. Joshua believed in him. Do you remember Joshua had a parting the sea or parting the river moment? Right? We know Moses parted the Red Sea, but if you go forward into Joshua chapter 3, you see this interesting story, starting in verse 7. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priest who bear the Ark of the Covenant. When you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Gergashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing before you to take into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priest bearing the ark of the covenant, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from it shall stand in one heap. And when the Ark of the Covenant comes in the Jordan, the waters back up. And across the Jordan walk the people of Israel. That Joshua becomes the man to lead the people. Just as Moses was, God has given that blessing to Joshua. And so it made me think about what is our legacy? What is, what is my legacy what is your legacy that when we leave this earth and get to be with the Lord, what are we going to leave behind? And I want to encourage you, discipleship is a way that you leave an eternal legacy. If you want to know how to leave a legacy that moth and rust cannot destroy, learn to disciple others. It starts with your family. Parents, are you discipling your kids in the way they should go? Are you teaching them the word? Are they seeing your faith in action? But it doesn't just stop there because some of your kids are grown. Some of your kids are out. You still have a role in discipleship. You still have an opportunity to disciple other men and women, youth, children, to leave a legacy behind. Just as Moses discipled Joshua, who then led the people. If you want to find true discipleship, find people that have discipled disciples that are now discipling others. We want to be multi-level disciples, people that are sharing Christ with the world, but also walking with them through how to become mature and complete, not lacking in anything. So join me this new year. We're getting ready to go to the Christmas season. 
Are we ready to go into the next year discipling others, leaving a legacy of faith behind us? That's our challenge. That's the challenge we see in the life of Moses. God doing incredible things through him and him pouring them in to the next generation. Let's do the same. Uh, Lord, we come before you thankful for this example of Moses, this reluctant leader, Lord, that you did mighty things through. Moses as an intercessor, praying for the people, having compassion for his people. Lord, I thank you for the example of Joshua. Lord, help us to pour into others just as Moses poured into Joshua. Lord, help us to be bold about our faith and avoiding the snares of the enemy that are set all around us. Lord, we thank you for this study through Exodus and just the beauty of the tabernacle, the beauty of your design, Lord. We pray that as we go into this um, Advent season, Lord, that go into the season of your birth, that you will bring people to hear the gospel and that we can share the gospel clearly to them. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Chris. Hey, I want to remind you, uh, gifts of joy is due today. Well, and Wednesday. But if you can bring it today, um, it's right inside where the Children's Commons area, the Gifts of Joy gifts, uh, you can do it today, uh, this service or next service, if you need to run home and bring it back. If you can't do it today, you can bring it back this Wednesday uh, from 6 to 9 p.m. right here at the church. That'll be great. And next Sunday, after third service, it all kicks off, Chris. Yeah, we'd all kick off night in Bethlehem. We're setting up. Anybody coming? Who's coming? Man, that, that really stunk. Who's coming? That's what I'm talking about. That's what I want to hear. All right, great. Next Sunday after third service, we're setting it up. And be in prayer uh, for all those involved, the cast members, the, uh, everybody who's setting up and working in it, um, those memorizing lines. And be in prayer that God brings so many people who need to hear the gospel. Thousands of, imagine thousands of people coming through and hearing and seeing the gospel foretold. So be in prayer for that, all right? I enjoy worshiping with you guys. Y'all have a wonderful week. Take care.